right. Good morning. Let's, let's start with prayer. Lord, um, we pray that you will uh, meet with us today. Father, um, you want us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And, and while I don't understand all of your ways, uh, your ways are good. And um, we, we want your presence today. We want your truth today. And uh, give us revelation. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Um, we've, we've been talking about ships, ownership, relationship, get yourself on the ship. And uh, today we have multiple low-budget ships on stage today. I need you to understand. Uh, we do not have rowboats. We have ships. Everybody good? And there is, a, there is a principle that Christians teach that says that the heart of man is evil. And that's offensive uh, because many of you say, I don't, I don't know that I'm evil. I have a neighbor who's not a Christian, and they're, they're wonderful people. And the, I don't know what. What about my child who's not old enough? And so, let me let, just just as as we're talking through today, if you'll hold on to this, because listen, my opinion means nothing if I can't back it up with scripture. So that's what we'll go through all day. Think about it like this. Today, this is going to represent the ship where Jesus is captain. And so I was born on a different ship. I have to choose to be on this ship. It cannot be forced. We tried it for a long time. <laughs> Read yourself some Christian history. We tried. <laughs> we tried to recruit people on that ship by force, and it doesn't work that way. And so when we say that the heart of man is, is against the will of God, we're born on a different ship, and we have to choose this right? Has to be a choice. And so that's why every person has to choose whether or not you're going to believe in God, whether or not you think that Jesus is the Son of God, whether or not that you think this whole Christian principle is the right way. And it cannot be forced. And here's my question. How's that going in your arguments? You, you argued a lot of people into submission lately? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. And so this comes through love, and it is a decision. And for any believer in here, uh, God has offered you this choice, and you can willingly accept or deny that. And so as we're talking about ships today, I want to know what ship you're on. And just because your family has chosen to be on a ship doesn't mean that you have. Just because your culture says, or even claims, uh, that they have chosen to be on a ship doesn't mean that you have. It is a personal choice for every person. But be clear that there's more than one ship out there. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But there's more than one ship out there. And here's what we know about all the ships. They'll all tell you they're going the right place. Right? My wife complains about my taste in color all the time. And I say, I know 
that I have impeccable taste in colors because we do a lot of house flipping and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, it's often like you have terrible taste. And I say, no, I have great taste. Here's how I know. Because out of all the taste that I could have had, I chose this one. That's how I know it's good. I have good taste. I still get vetoed. However, every ship says, this is the one. It doesn't mean every person on the ship is content. Because we've all jumped ship at some point. <laughs> See? This kind of works, doesn't it? Now, there's a couple ships today, and I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just gonna, so that you can visualize this. We're going to use this as the ship where Jesus is captain. And he says, you don't have to be on it, but if you're on it, this is how we do things. And then we have a few more characters today, and this is going to be the ship of the Pharisees. It's the largest, most expensive boat up here, which ain't saying much. But it is, I mean, this is the one that cost. These were the religious, these are the super religious people of the day because we don't have super religious people anymore that are ultra judgmental and calling people actually away from what the Bible teaches. That's just a thing of the past, right? And then this, this is the party boat. Everybody here is in a sun's out, guns out tank top, okay? And they have, they have good stories. I'm not going to say they have the best stories. But they know how to tell them. There's good stories on this boat. And all of you have been on this boat at some point. And when I say all of you, I mean all of us have been on that boat at some point. Is this analogy working so far? So we need to start in the scripture. Go with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Listen, all the scripture is going to be on the screen. Nobody expected you to walk in here as a Bible scholar. Nobody expected you to walk in here with your life all together. In fact, if you're perfect, you're going to ruin what we're doing all together. And you don't need a Savior. You don't need Jesus if you're perfect. So none of this applies to you anyways. But uh, all the scriptures here, follow along with me. And then as you leave, one thing that we absolutely love, we believe that God left us something. It is supernatural. I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you as you read your Bible. And we, we have those for you for free. Uh, and there, as you exit here today, please take one. It's a joy for us uh, when you take that. It's not a financial burden. It is like, yes! All we ask is that you read it. And so maybe write this down. Write it down on your connection card. Write it down on your hand and go read what we're reading today. Check me on this because always believe the Bible over anything that I say. Okay, here we go. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Now I have to stop there and make sure that we don't go any further on the screen uh, be, because you really have to understand what just happened. Now, know that um, Jesus begins his ministry. We're going to debate this. You know, Jesus was born. Was he born in zero? Because your calendar changes B.C. to A.D. No matter what anybody says, that is when it changes uh, upon the birth of Jesus. And so now that we have a little bit more information to work with, we're like, ah, we missed that a little bit. Probably born in 4 B.C. So I don't know. It doesn't change uh, doesn't change my view about God, whether or not he was born in 4 B.C. or 0, okay? But somewhere around 30 A.D., Jesus begins his 
uh, ministry. That means Julius Caesar has already come and gone, all these things, and, and Rome is this vast empire, and they have taken over uh, Jerusalem. So uh, the Jews were such a very stubborn people that it was just easier to let them practice their own religion and really govern themselves. And so the Romans did that. They let them govern themselves. Now, they had a prefect. They had a governor. They had somebody who would be over them. But largely, they let the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin really govern the people because it's the only people that the masses would, would listen to. Okay? Now, there was one group of people, however, that were the outcasts of society. Now, what happened was the Romans said, okay, you can govern yourself, but when we need military, we're going to pull people out. When we want funds, we want your taxes, right? We want you to pay your taxes. Now, the problem is in a people governing themselves, when I say, all right, we're going to take taxes based on how much you made this year. How much did you make? Oh, man, I hadn't been working in a while, <laughs> right? And so the people were lying about their taxes, or I say they were lying. I mean, that's the assumption that they would lie about their taxes. And so we had to have a spy, a local. And so I would get a local to come in and go, girl, I see you at the market every day selling. I know that you've been working, right? And so these were actually traitors to their people. They were detested by the Jews. Tax collectors were detested. They were not just working for the Romans, but they were working against their people, and they would sell you out for money. In fact, it wasn't like, oh, he's a sellout, and some people thought you were a sellout. Literally, by profession, you are a sellout. And so since they were hated already anyways, they're taking a little extra, right? They're taking, uh, being mean to a tax collector is kind of like cussing your waitress. Have fun eating that loogie burger, right? <laughs> so they're taking a little more off the top, and these were the most despised people in all of Israel. Hated more than the Romans, hated more than the unclean, hated more than anyone. In fact, when they're listed, they're actually listed uh, lower than how the people would view prostitutes. Now, this is not, um, when, when we talk about prostitution in the Bible, you've got to understand, because we're going to talk about this today, uh, you've got to understand that the view on, on these women, regardless their circumstance, and the Jewish law actually had coverage to take care of women so it was assumed that you did this lifestyle um, by choice and this was not somebody who could take a bath in between jobs you know what I'm saying and so this was the the view of the people and so sort of at the bottom of societal food chain uh, you had prostitutes and then tax collectors now tax collectors had the money nobody would hang out with them uh, no one would be seen in public with a prostitute. So who do you think the tax collectors would hang out with? So these two just were kind of peanut butter and jelly. They would hang out together commonly, okay? And so when you hear it, the Bible mention uh, a tax collector with sinful women, this is, this is what 
what we're talking about. Now, I'm getting, I'm getting somewhere with this, but you had to understand that part, okay? So, when Jesus comes to Matthew, okay, Jesus comes to Matthew, and, and skip this boat, <laughs> Matthew, uh, they hate Matthew. The super religious hate Matthew, and Matthew is over here on the party boat, okay? He's like, he has sold it all for money. He just got back from a, from a cruise, did a juice cleanse, met some nice ladies. He came back to work. He's got his tan lines, okay? And Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. This is earth-shaking, See, you grew up in, in what at least has tremors of a religious Christian society. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're supposed to reach out to anybody. You're supposed to do these things. Uh, this was not their society because their religious supreme are saying they are going to hell. They deserve hell. And I'd like to send them there faster. They're unclean. They're unwanted. And they could never do what it takes to be in this boat. You could never measure up to all the rules that I followed. And in their defense, they followed a lot of rules. And so this dude's back here just like, it is what it is. And Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. And you could feel the earth shake. Understand that Jesus has been walking around performing miraculous deeds. Even non-biblical sources cite that there was a Jesus and that he was doing some wild stuff, some miraculous things. And so there was a crowd around him. And he goes to Matthew. Now, he says, follow me. What does that mean? He says, Matthew, I want you to get on my boat with me. I want us to be in the same boat together. Matthew's not even wanted in the boat he's in. Matthew's just trying to live as large as he can while he can because he's hated, he's detested, and he always will be. He's a Jew. He can't go. He can't move down to Brazil. This is not an option in their day. He will be there. He will be hated. Make the best of it while you're there. And he's invited into Jesus' boat. He's never been invited into a boat. He could never make the qualifications. There are too many hurdles for him to get in another boat. But let me ask you a question, church. What are the qualifications to get in Jesus' boat? Follow me, he said. The qualifications were, follow me. That's it. So when we begin to put hurdles, stipulations, regulations on people for salvation that Jesus never put on them, you are not in Jesus' boat. You are, in fact, in this boat. Because that is not what he taught. Now, we, we talked about the other day, who's the captain of your ship? And there's a way that he wants us to live. And when we do, when we try to live, on, when, when we try to live according to these rules or according to those rules, but be in this boat, it is exhausting because people are like, well, that's not, I don't understand. That's not what, that's, that doesn't look that like the love of Jesus. Or there's no difference in you and this. And so Jesus says, no, if you're going to be in this boat, these are the way that I want to do things. 
but there's not a hurdle to get into the boat. All are welcome in the boat. Go back and read the New Testament. If you have different stipulations, you're just wrong, biblically. There's rules in the boat. There's not rules to get on the boat. You understand? All are welcome. Listen to Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We still have that hurdle because you have stuff that you've never told me about. We have stuff we've never told each other about. There's some things about me that you don't know. And we're like, I just don't know if I can ever get over that hurdle. There's no hurdle! You don't have to worry about that. There's mercy. There's a Father who disciplines us when we do wrong. Yeah, but there's mercy. There's grace. You're wanted in this boat. And that is one of the biggest appeals. I've never been wanted before. Matthew had never been wanted before because he was a traitor. If I think about Jesus as a husband and I as the church am his bride, how many times have I cheated on Jesus? And we feel unwanted. You might feel like you deserve to be unwanted. You're not. You're wanted. And he calls you onto his boat. He says, follow me. Why did he start the gospel through tax collectors? Through, you know the ladies who, who went to the tomb and, uh, and, and, and found that Jesus wasn't there after he had resurrected from the dead? You know what they did for a living? Some of them. Why did he start it in prison? Why did he start it with tax collectors? Why did he start it with prostitutes? We'll get there. But don't try to clean up before you come to Jesus. Because you're saying that I can earn to be with the Father. That's delusions of grandeur. You will not be that clean. Jesus came and lived sinless, and that's the standard. And you can't make that standard. So congratulations, you've qualified for mercy. We are reading in the book of Matthew. So a little heads up, the very man who just was called to follow Jesus will later write this book that you're reading. So who will you deny to get into the boat? Who will you deny to come to Jesus? Because Jesus didn't do that. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. That's what God has always been looking for, is people who will just follow, who will just get in the boat. He'll take care of the rest. He'll clean you up later. He will mend broken things later. And he will set with you in your depravity and bring you in. As we follow Jesus, things can get a little sloppy. So when my wife and I moved here, we wanted to start a church and we wanted to, to do some things uh, a little different than what we had traditionally done. And one thing, there's a conundrum I have found myself in quite often, actually. Um, I visit the uh, courtroom here a lot. 
And I typically sit on the guilty side in court. And so, like, as a pastor, it's kind of weird because I'm like, hey, guys, sorry about what my friends did. (laughs) I don't condone it. But I'm here with them because they said I did the wrong thing and I want to get better. Jesus died for us in our sin, in our depravity. He died for the washed up version of you, not the cleaned up version of you. Okay, the rest of that verse, Matthew 9, 9. It, it, it says, um, Matthew 9, 9, here we go. Um, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Profound. And Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew is in the party boat. It is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. I've made my decision. I am disqualified from ever being in this boat. I'm disqualified from ever being in the religious leader's boat, for ever being in the good graces of God, because the men who represent God, they obviously have denied me at this point. And Jesus says, come and follow him. And there's a big difference between being on a boat and being on the boat. And so Matthew literally goes to Jesus and follows him. To follow him, you have to be on his boat. Out of these three boats, what do you see, first of all, that's different about this boat than those two boats? There you go. Direction. This boat is going this way, and those boats are going in the opposite direction. And so to follow Jesus, I have to be going the way that Jesus is going. Sometimes that's difficult, and I'll explain why in in just a moment. But the problem is, these guys said they were going the same place. Then why is your boat pointed the wrong direction? If God is love and you're going the same place as God, but you're denying people access to God left and right, then why are you going in a different direction than God? Tell me how you're going to end up in the same place, going a different direction. Since you're super religious, explain that. It doesn't work. A lot will say we're eventually going the same place. And those are my bros. Like, I, I love these. I love these boats. We've all been here at some, some point, and, and, and at some point, eventually, we'll go the same place. But what do we know about sin? Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. It will take you farther than you want to go, and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. And so that eventually turns into, this is never going to happen. And to the point that I feel unloved, unwanted, disqualified from ever having the love of Jesus. And maybe you walked in here at that point in your life. Good news. Some will say, we're not trying to be on his boat at all. 
we have the party boat, and it's a lot more fun. And there's good stories on the party boat. But let me ask you, have you ever been on this boat? The let's live now boat? Just show of hands. Who's been on this boat? Pretty much everyone. Here's my question. Why'd you get off? Exactly. Not as fun (laughs) as it started out being, is it? Where was it going? Here's the problem. On this boat, it was going in circles. And I have a good time, I need a new person, and then things come crashing down, and I'm desperate, and then maybe I run on and try to jump on this boat for a minute. And then things start looking up, and so I go back to the party boat, and I meet somebody new, and I do new things, and then it all comes crashing down, and the party boat's going in circles, and in circles, and in circles. And there's good stories, there's good stories, but it's only half the story. And then eventually the party boat has to answer this question, when I get where I'm going, where will I be? And the answer is right back where I started. And many of you have had to jump ship because you said it's costing me everything. And so it's appealing, it's tempting, and so they say, this is the place, this is where it's happening. And they say, it's, no, it's not as good over here. But here's the difference. It's not that there's not fun on Jesus' boat. It's not that there's not life and that there's not joy. Actually, to live peacefully. Man, how many would trade your good times for just peace? Like, I just, <laughs> I just want to feel, some of you have said this before, I just want to be a normal person. I just want to have, I just, I want to stop feeling this thing. I want to stop questioning these things. I want to stop, and man, I would, I would trade anything for peace. And so there's peace on this boat. There is joy on this boat. Absolutely. Yes, there's good times. Listen, uh, Mike and Julie are leading an expedition to Ecuador. And uh, you're like, no, this place has all the stories. Go talk to Mike for a minute. And then you'll hide your little stories. I've got great stories from following Jesus. It's not that there's not fun on this boat, that there's not life on this boat. It's that this boat doesn't turn around when there's a storm. And so this seems like more fun because it will turn around and just go a different way, like whatever, wherever the waves take us, man. But then you find yourself right back where you started, and you never get through a storm. And the storm never stops, so you're always just running from it. And Jesus says, no, stay in the boat, and we will go through the storm. And so we view that as a way to say, eh, that's not where I want to be. That's not a lot of fun. Listen, how about you trade fun for victory? How about we trade fun for victory? I would rather have victory over some of the things that I picked up in the fun boat. I would rather have victory when storms come, whether that be uh, man anxiety or depression, bad relationships or choices, people against me because I'm serving God, for whatever reason, have victory through the storm instead of constantly circling back in front of the storm. Circles, going nowhere, running from storms. This is why some of us 
only come to Christianity, and I, I don't say this like this is not, please don't think this is pi- pious or rude because we have all done this. And in fact, it's, it's not even necessarily all bad because many of you have found faith when before you were like, ah, I don't know. And if you know my story, it was hard for me to believe in God. This was like 10 or 12 years of my life, very difficult for me to even believe in God. But, but for many, we only run to Jesus as a stepping stone so that I can get back on another boat. I just need to heal up here. And then I can check myself out. And so we run to faith. And so that's not always bad because many of you didn't find faith until you had to run to Jesus because of a hard time. So the very thing that you cursed God for was the very thing that brought you to God. And so like in a sick, twisted, weird way, like I'm thankful for the hard times. Because that's what brought me to the one who could take me through the storm. Because I try to get through the storm on my own, and a, and, and a dang near drown. Can I get an amen? And a dang near drown. But then I found Jesus. Now, we can't use Jesus for just a stepping stone. Let's go. Let's, let's read verse 10. While he was reclining at the table in the house... What house? Whose house? It's very ambiguous. I don't know. I don't know if the people we're about to talk to came to his house or if he came to their house, but hang on. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. So did he go to Matthew's house or did he invite Matthew and his boys and his boys' boys and their girls to his house? I don't know. And it doesn't matter. But while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Can you imagine? In in Jewish culture, they were waiting because there's all sorts of prophecy throughout the Old Testament about the Messiah that is to come. They were waiting for a Savior, a Messiah, and that, that we believe that Jesus is that Messiah, is that Savior. And so they're waiting for him. They can quote all the scripture. There's rumors that he may be the one. And then you find him and you open the door. <laughs> and, oh, oh, my bad. I didn't mean to interrupt. I, like, I, you thought you walked in on something bad. Because, like, I know these ladies, but I don't want to admit that I know these ladies. And there's a dude that robbed my mama. I mean, I literally have seen the one that I was looking for with the people that I hate the most in the world. With the people that I find to be the most scum of the earth trash. Yet he finds value in them. This is interesting, isn't it? Jesus comes and we expect him to be eating with this boat. In fact, he's supposed to come from this boat. But instead, he's not on their boat. He bypasses their boat, and he gets these people who will never be on another boat and brings them on and said, now they're closer to me than you are. And so literally the gospel starts in the prisons, starts with prostitutes, with tax collectors. Why? Because they don't want what Jesus has, and these people are desperate for it. 
The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to see whose hearts are fully committed to him. Who will Jesus take? Anyone who will follow. He takes anyone who will follow. Jesus wasn't going into sinful places. Notice this. That's still his ship. He's the captain of the ship. He's not boarding other places and just be like, we're going to change this from inside. He didn't do it that way. He didn't engage in sinful behavior. But God, listen, this is Christian theology. God himself becomes a man and comes to the earth so he can be with the lowest and bring them to the right hand of God. But we're too good for that. <laughs> do, you see the, do you see the irony? You see the irony? I'm too good to do what God did. Delusions of grandeur. Now, I don't get on the wrong boat as a recruiting tool, all right? I'm not ever saying, let's engage in sinful behavior so that we can. I'm saying, if you think that you're too good for anyone, you completely miss the teachings of Jesus. Piety, arrogance, no place. If God will humble himself to come as the last Adam, Adam as in like Adam and Eve, as in Adam is the word, Hebrew word for dirt. God comes to dirt. God comes and gets dirty with us to reach out to the people that we were too good for. If he can do it and we're following him, then who do you reach for? Now eventually some of these cats get saved. God wasn't excluding them. He's looking for anyone. Remember, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Rich, poor, doesn't matter. Heart, where is your heart? So I'm not on the wrong ship as a recruiting tool, okay? But, well, not but. Because when I'm on that ship, I'm under that ship's rules, right? This is why I flee those things, so that Satan has no power over me. And I want to live on the captain's ship in the kingdom of heaven. Because I've told you before, the kingdom of heaven is already, but not yet. We're not in heaven yet. This ship is going this direction. It has not yet reached its destination. But the same king who is king there is already king here. So the kingdom of heaven is already. So as I am in the kingdom of God, living by his rules, living by his regulations, following the peaceful teachings of Jesus, then I am already, but I'm just not yet home. Does that make sense? That's what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. And that's why it's so frustrating when they say, when they say, when they say, because I've never done this, when, when they say, no, no, this is it, this is it, this is it. And, and over here we're like, this is it, dude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody's saying this is it. And you can be calling yourself a Christian and following Jesus, so to speak, on any different boat, but it's frustrating because people are looking for the truth and we're misleading when we're on the wrong boat saying that we're headed in the way that Jesus is going, because it's not. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, I'm in verse 11 now. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
As you read the New Testament, and maybe you've never read it, and that's okay. No, nobody expects you to walk in as a Bible scholar. But as you read it, even if you're just looking at this passage, isn't it funny that the most religious are the ones who are keeping the most people from Jesus? <laughs> They're trying to keep people out of God's boat, all the while claiming they're in God's boat. If you're mad at people <laughs> who are jumping onto Jesus' ship, that's how you know you're not on Jesus' ship, right? And so it can spurn jealousy. And this happens, right? Sometimes this happens when it's like, man, like these people, like something that's actually changed, and they're getting a lot out of this whole religion thing, and I've just never gotten that much out of it. It spurns just a little bit of jealousy, and we want to sort of like pull some of that back in, begin to fight against that. But when the truth is, if you will taste and see that the Lord is good, and actually get on his ship and follow him. As Jesus asked for an all or nothing thing, you don't have to get on the boat. But he wants all of you. We believe that there's blessings on his boat. We believe there's joy on his boat. We believe there's storms that will get conquered on his boat. We believe that there's storms on his boat. But it's just headed in a different direction. And so we speak this out of love, not out of piety. It's frustrating to say you're on Jesus' boat headed the wrong direction. Because I'm not getting what it says I was going to get because I'm not on the boat I'm supposed to be on. It's a religious boat. It's not his. If you put requirements on people to get saved that Jesus didn't put on people to get saved, you're in a dangerous place. Verse 12. Now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who is without mistake? Who is without sin? No one. So who did Jesus come for? Everyone. And, and, and they're trashing on Jesus like, man, how could he be, how could he, th th this boat? If he wants to be something, he needs to be on our boat. And Jesus says, no, you need to be on my boat. Jesus didn't come because we're awesome. He came because he is awesome. And so he came to heal he came to save. He came to comfort because we're not in heaven yet. There is war and pestilence, famine, disease. There is hardship on this earth. There is a storm, and he wants to take us through it. He came for us. The Bible says that he came that all may have life and have it to the full. It is what he wants for everyone. The Bible says that he's a great shepherd. He came so that he would not lose any of his sheep. The Pharisees' lifestyle didn't impress Jesus. 
their rejection of his people sickened Jesus. And this is, the, so, so, so this passage that I read, uh, Matthew 9, 12. I want the worship team to go ahead and come up. It said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He was actually quoting the Old Testament. Jesus has always desired mercy over sacrifice. In fact, in the Old Testament, under the old law, see, we're not under the old law anymore because Jesus fulfilled it by becoming the perfect sacrifice. So perfect that there's no more need for any other sacrifice because his payment was so great, it would pay for any sin. So all I have to do is accept that, right? And before he did this, he was of the same nature. He's still the same God. And he was saying, I desire Mercy, not sacrifice. Well, he's the one that told them to sacrifice. The problem was their sacrifices had lost any heart. They're sacrificing things that they don't really mean, and the sacrifice became detestable to him. And their behavior became detestable. He said, you're going through all the rituals, but you're neglecting mercy to my people. And so I detest your sacrifices. I will not accept them anymore. And he's trying to tell the Pharisees, they're going, Jesus, why are, you, why are you taking these people? How can you be with her? How can you be with him? And he says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They were living by more rules. In fact, they had written themselves another book of laws on top of the Old Testament just to live by, just so that they wouldn't even think about sinning. And in so, they had sinned by creating obstacles to get to God. And he says, that's not what I desire. I desire mercy. Church, God is merciful. So much so that in our sin, this is in Romans chapter 5, that in our sin, while we were sinners, while we were sinning, Christ died for us. The hero dies for the villain while the villain is in crime. That is God's mercy. And so if we become a place that does not show mercy, that excludes, that will not love, that thinks we're better than someone else, we are no longer on his boat. As a Christian, that is unacceptable behavior and an unacceptable view. Because God paved the way, showed us through perfect example. The Bible says that being himself in very nature, God humbled himself and served us. Two things to take away from this. One is there is no hurdle between you and God. Now you say, okay, but in my mind there's some hurdles. Okay, but those are your hurdles, those he didn't set. And I get that. I've spent a long time there. There's no hurdle from you coming to Jesus. We understand that there's a huge marketing scheme on the party boat. And it looks good and there's some good stories. And we have stories from the party boat. You will have better stories here. You will have better stories here. And maybe even be able to remember most of them. It's just that he doesn't run from storms. 
I'm going to pray for you. Oh, I said there was two things, didn't I, before we pray. Yeah, one is, there's mercy. There's no obstacle from you coming to Jesus. Now, he says, follow me, and he will be your father, and you will be his child. And the father runs his house. He runs his ship, but he does it with grace and mercy. And, and, and <laughs> haven't we all messed up trying to do it our own self? Like, give it a shot, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. But the second thing is that we have to extend grace and mercy. And if we will look like a people who love, then we will show the true God. Then we will not be creating frustration for people who are looking for something new, but just keep seeing more of the same. So this means you'll be perfect here, right? The Bible says, do not take light the Lord's rebuke for those he loves, he disciplines. The fact that he has to discipline you means that you're not perfect. The fact that he has to discipline means that you haven't lost. You haven't had to walk the plank. You haven't been thrown off the ship. You've just been disciplined as a child, out of love. There's no perfection on this boat, so don't fake it. But it is something genuine for people who are looking for truth. So if you are a person looking for truth this morning, I believe that it is found in the teachings of Jesus. You have a connection card. I would love to chat with you. Put it down. Like, they're going to play, and man, the music is beautiful, and I get emotional, and like, I'll sign my life away. I don't want to do that right now. I want you to write something down. We'll have a conversation later on during the week where we're not emotionally distraught, okay? But we want to have... the ability to help you get on this boat, to help you walk on this boat. And we want you to bring others. Because when you're bringing to others, to Jesus, that's when you're on the boat. Okay? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will use us in a mighty way to show love. God, to show mercy in the way that you have shown us mercy, to give grace in the way that you have given us grace, which is undeserving. And we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that you will continue to use your people to spread your word and to spread your love. And God, I pray for anyone who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, because you have given us love for our brothers and sisters. God, we pray that they will come to you. Use us in whatever form, whatever fashion you would to bring our brothers and sisters on the boat with you because you are alive. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and worship with us.